Hi, I'm Maria Thea Harris or Velosos, and today is So Over 50 Thursday. Grab a cuppa and relax with us. So Organised Style Podcast acknowledges traditional owners of country throughout Australia. We pay our respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to the Elders past, present and emerging. Thanks for joining us on another special So Over 50 podcast. I'm so excited. Today we have Joe Andrews who is back on the podcast and we're thrilled to have her back, of course. Now Joe is the writer, producer and host of Haptic and Hue podcast. Haptic and Hue podcast explores the way in which cloth speaks to us and the impact it has on our lives. She's back today because she's now launched Series 2 of Haptic and Hue. Joe, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast because when we last spoke, you were doing Series 1 and you weren't too sure if you were going to do a Series 2. And this year, you've now launched Series 2, so congratulations. Thank you so much. I wasn't sure at all. I wasn't sure that people would be interested. People are always interested in how to do things, how to make their skills better, how to produce beautiful things. But I wasn't at all sure they'd be interested in what I regarded really as the backstory and the context of it. But it seems they are. (laughs) I'm one of them. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind. Thank you. You know, within the podcast sewing sphere, there are always different types of podcasts around, but there's always interest in understanding the history behind what people are doing. And you've done such really great research and talked to some amazing people that you have access to, and you've shared that with us through your podcast. Thank you so much for that. I have to, and this is a terrible thing to admit, I really haven't done that much research. All of this stuff is sitting in my head. (laughs) And so perhaps it's the result of 20 to 30 years of just going to exhibitions and reading books and just loving this stuff. And knowing that there is a huge gap there, lots of people do this. Mm -hmm. They know it makes them feel better about life. They know it's a way of expressing their love for other people, but often they don't understand the history of what they're doing and why it's so vital to human existence. And I have no more power than anyone else. I simply send someone an email and say, hey, there's this podcast. Would you like to do me an interview? And very occasionally someone says no, but mostly people are really kind and open and willing to share their experiences. And I found that more than ever in this second series of podcasts. I mean, in the first series, it was just a leap of faith. They didn't know me from a bar of soap. And they had no idea whether I was actually going to make a podcast. I said I was, but I couldn't prove that I was going to do it. And this time around, I can point to the ones that are already up there and say, well, here are the podcasts. And so in some senses, it's been a little easier to open doors. That's really great. So now that you've said, okay, you've started series two, what are you focusing on? So series one. One was really an experiment to explore the ground. And if you remember, Maria, right at the end of the last time we had a conversation, we started talking about words and where words come from. And something in that conversation we had stayed with me. And I went back to this word 
feeling. Mm -hmm. And of course, I realized that it comes from feeling cloth. And so this physical sense of touch got transferred over, not just in English, but in Dutch and in German and other languages as well, to mean the feelings of your emotions. And the only way humans could express this was by transferring it from a physical feeling to an emotional feeling. And I wanted to, in a sense, repay that favor and take the word feeling and take some feelings and then try and explore that in terms of cloth. And I'm going to say I'm expecting people to disagree with me profoundly because these are my interpretations of those feelings. They are not the definition of those feelings. And so for me, it's just a way of taking the corner of a cloth and pulling it out and telling a story with that. Right. You've kind of got me there. So <laughs> there's, there's two parts of, of what you've said that resonate with me on that is the history behind feelings and sharing those feelings through cloth is really important. So series two is going to be great to listen to. And then the other part of feeling and cloth is when people say that they feel comfortable or not comfortable. And then you've got another realm of talking to people who have accessibility or have heightened sensitivity because of their condition. So again, feeling is really important. It's fantastically important. And I think I'm going to struggle because I think all of us who like textiles or work with textiles, who enjoy the feel of them, know instinctively that this arouses emotions or other feelings in us. But I think we have been very bad at expressing that. And it's part of what some of the writers who write about textiles call the privileging of the written word. Everything is written down. We look at things in text. We think thoughts in text. We have to take exams for us. And, and the whole vocabulary and sense of what textiles are are completely outside the written word. And so there's a sense in which they've gone off into the twilight. And lots of us know things instinctively about textiles, but we've never brought them into words. And so what I'm trying to do with the podcast is bring those emotions that surround our use of cloth in lots of different ways into words and try to relate it to the cloth. Is there an example in your podcast where the cloth that is being discussed has taken someone's emotion from A to B? I think there is, yes. I'll give you a couple of examples. So one of them is an unseen cloth, and it will actually be the last podcast in the series, so you're going to have to wait for it. But it's called A Feeling of Nostalgia. And I was particularly struck and have been for a long time by what memories a piece of material or a pattern from your childhood. I saw on eBay a pattern that had been my curtains in my childhood bedroom. And I'd completely forgotten this pattern. If you'd said to me, oh, it was a pattern with cats on it, I would have said, I don't know what you're talking about. And I saw this pattern and it was just like being in that bedroom again. The memory was so sharp for me. And I think in public places, even more than in private places, we tend to ignore the cloth and textile that we see. 
And so in this episode, I'm going to focus on the seats on London Underground, which have a history of over just about 100 years now. And they've been this specific material, which is made of British and sometimes Australian wool called moquette. And I mean, everything has happened to that material. People have died on it. They've probably been born on it. They put their feet on it. They put their chewing gum on it. They've had too much to drink on it. And the moquettes go out of fashion or stop being used. New ones come in. And people don't realize it, but when they see those moquettes which were there, those designs which were there in their childhood, it brings back trips to the theater, trips to London, trips to the dentist, meeting your first girlfriend, breaking up with someone, or perhaps a decade in your life when you traveled a particular route to go to a particular job. And we know that people associate memories and a sense of their own history very much with those patterns. And so it's trying to track how particularly the cloths on London tubes. I know in Australia, you also have wool seats on some of your public transport and how they bring back memories and what they really spark off in people. So that's one. And then the other one is one that the more I think about it, the more I'm not sure I can do justice to it. And that will be called a feeling of belonging. When you think about it, people die quite willingly at times for a piece of cloth called a flag. Yes. When you you think about this, you think, hang on a minute, this is just a piece of blue, red and white cloth. And in Australia's case, with very nice stars on it at the Southern Cross. But it's just a piece of commercially produced material. What does it mean to you? And it then becomes apparent to you that cloth is an incredibly powerful sense of identity. Human beings seem to have a need to belong to a family, a village, a community, a tribe, however you describe that. And these pieces of material, these flags, are really powerful signifiers of that. And I wanted to try to unpack how people announce who and what they belong to by using material. I wouldn't have thought about people dying for a piece of cloth ever. I know, and it's a sadness. You see American coffins and British coffins come home from the wars that have been fought recently in different places around the world, and they are draped in the flag. And it means a great deal, not just to those who fall for their country, but to those who honour them when they come home to be buried. And if anybody tells me it's just a piece of cloth, you give them that example and people begin to understand why cloth is so essential to human existence. Now, I haven't heard all of the podcasters yet. Have you touched on Scottish clan tartan? What a good idea. If you haven't, we don't have to talk about it. No, no, no. We can talk about it. I think there might have to be a series three of a whole set of other feelings actually proposed by the listeners. I haven't talked about it, but I have talked to the most wonderful weaver of hand-woven tweeds who works in the northeast of Scotland because I wanted to take a wool from the back of a sheep to a catwalk or to the consumer who buys it. And Sam Goats, who works for Woven in the Bone, she worked for 20 years in Australia 
and then she went home to Scotland and set up her own weaving shed with semi-mechanized Hattersley looms. She's the vital part of taking the yarn that comes off the sheep and turning it into the most fantastic length of tweed for a tweed suit or for a waistcoat or for a coat. And she works with some really high-end tailors in London to achieve that look. And she tells me she also works with a firm that sells lengths of tweed made specifically for families. So you can have 40 meters of your own tweed, Maria, if you would like it in your own pattern. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Bit hot for Melbourne, I think. Yeah, you're right. It is. How do you then balance when you're developing your podcasts, because you do a lot of writing behind them, the story behind the cloth with the person that you're talking to and not get too much into the actual weaving process? Is that something that you have to be conscious of? Yes, you do. Sometimes I, if I don't understand the process, weaving's not such a difficult one for me because uh, I've got at least four looms or at least only four that I'm confessing to. But if it's something I really don't understand, like crochet or quilting, which I don't do, then I do talk to them a bit about how they do it. But they know before I start talking to them that I don't actually want to talk to them about how to. I want to talk to them about why. And some people aren't comfortable with that, in which case we don't take it any further. But most people who spend their life working with textiles or thinking deeply about them are very comfortable with that because their own emotions and feelings, they're pretty clear about what those are. Mm. And they're connected to the textiles. In the first episode, I talk to two quilters from this very remote village in Alabama in America who come from a family of quilters who have been quilting probably for 150 years. And they are artists. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And I asked both of them what they felt when they quilted. And they gave me two different answers. And I love these answers. One of them, Mary Margaret Petway said, I feel completely at peace. When I pick up the needle and I start quilting, I am at peace. And Loretta Bennett, who's her first cousin, said, it is a way for me to stay in contact with my ancestors. When I am quilting, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, and the people I loved who have gone before me, they're there with me in the room. And picking up a needle and a thread, boy, that's kind of magic, isn't it? That it can do that. Yeah. Quite profound statements. Yeah, absolutely. So with series two, the topics that you've chosen, are they audience driven? Yes, some of them are. I developed the idea of having different feelings, but some of the suggestions that have come out of the first series and people have been fantastic in supporting this not just in posting me incredibly nice and kind reviews, but also in coming forward with suggestions. That has been driven by them. And 
yes, they have had an input to this series. They'll have even more of an input to series three, where I have an idea, and that will be entirely centred around the stories that listeners want to tell with their pieces of cloth. So that would be something that listeners should be getting really excited about right now. I hope so. So I wanted to follow this idea of cloths that tell a story, that are a story cloth. So to take, if I do a series of eight, to take eight cloths that come from listeners or from other people who I think have got interesting stories to tell and ask them to tell me the story of the cloth and then for me to actually try to track that through and, for instance, look at which country it came from, what tradition it came out of, how that craft or skill arrived in that country, what its history is, what it means to the people who have it now, and what it would have meant to the people who first made it. And just try to track through this fantastic fluidity that has always been there in the world of textiles, where crafts and skills have known no boundaries and have seeped very happily around the world from India to China to Japan to North Africa to South Africa to Europe and to America. And, you know, it was quite remarkable. I was speaking to somebody who was Indian and someone who was Japanese for this series too. And I said to both of them, do you mind that the process that we were talking about has just become a kind of global craze and it's not done by Indian or Japanese people anymore? And they both laughed and said, no, you know, textile and crafts have been international. And the woman in Japan said, the women of Japan have been knitting and embroidering and doing everything that they think has come to them from the West. Why shouldn't they enjoy something that Japanese people do? And I think there is a, there is a sense that these skills do pass around the world. And I wanted to be able to get a sense of that. Have you got any nice textiles hiding at the back of your wardrobe, Maria? I think I'll have to have a look, Joe. <laughs> we know with each of these stories that you're going to be developing for Series 3 from, you know, particular cloths, they'll also bring through the theme of feelings and what it means to that person. So it's, it sounds like a really good blend. Thank you. We'll see. It may be uh, too hard, but we'll see if we can manage it. If anyone can manage it, it'd be you. <laughs> That's really kind of you. Thank you. <laughs> so is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with to celebrate Series 2 of your podcast? Really just to hope that you enjoy listening to it, but also to hope that it, to say that it won't be the definition of what that feeling means to you, but that it might prompt new associations and new understandings in your own work and your own craft. And that, for me, is the essential thing. If you can reach that level of kind of connection and understanding, and so when you see something, you think, oh, I know a little bit more about that. I understand why that's important. That, to me, is why I do this, because I love communicating I love telling stories and to be a storyteller I think is uh, the highest calling that a human being can have and so how often 
are you putting out series two podcasts? So there are eight which are in bits right now, but they will come out from Thursday the 11th of March and go every two weeks until early June. So it's every two weeks until early June. You know, I love listening to your podcast and I'm really pleased that you've gotten into series two and are thinking about series three for us. So thank you again, Joe, for developing Haptic and Q and keeping it going. Thank you. I wouldn't have done it without being given the confidence by the people who have listened. And I really mean that. I set off on a very uncertain journey and it's the people who've said, yeah, this works for me. I like that. And who have supported it in terms of subscribing to it that have meant a huge amount. They really have. Thank you, subscribers to Haptic and Q podcast. Thank you indeed. And hopefully we'll bring more people to listen and subscribe. Uh, That would be really lovely, but principally because you enjoy it. Exactly. You're very welcome. And have a lovely day, listeners. This episode of Soul Organised Style Podcast for Soul Over 50 was produced by me, Maria Thea Harris, with permission of Joe Andrews, sound by bensound.com. You can subscribe to Soul Organised Style Podcast, spelled with an S, not a Z, on all good podcast apps. Make sure you listen to previous Soul Over 50 Thursday podcasts and hear great people from the Soul Over 50 community. Post any questions or podcast suggestions you have on our podcast website, sellorganizedstylepodcast.com or on our Instagram account, sellorganizedstyle or on our Facebook page. We look forward to joining you in your sewing room next time. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>